Well, I've already been blessed. I thank the Lord so much for your desire to come today just to lift up the name of Jesus. I feel like that's what you've done. You've definitely welcomed him. So I'm um, so glad that we can look now into God's word. I want to invite you, if you would, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at three verses, uh, Ephesians 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. I'm looking so forward to speaking after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, Lord willing, from verse 18 about being filled with the Spirit. But I do believe that this uh, message today is definitely from the Lord. It's what he wants us to consider. If you've been following with us, we're going through this letter to the Ephesians, and I feel like it's a very practical handbook to help us know how to grow in Christ. Are you growing in Christ? There's something more. There's an adventure beyond just sitting on a pew. There's way more. And so all we've got to do is just walk and stay in step with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, Theodore Epp says that the whole letter of Ephesians is written, first three chapters, on telling us who we are in Christ and what we have available in Christ. He describes it as looking at our spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. But when we went into chapter 4, you'll recall right off the start, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, it reminded us of that word walk. You see, God doesn't want us just to know something. He wants us to live it. So it uses this word walk as a metaphor, how we daily walk one step at a time with the Lord. And so Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, even maybe into chapter 6, uh, we're looking at how to walk with the Lord. And we've already seen in chapter 5, verse 2, that we should walk in love as Christ loved us. We saw in verse eight that we should walk as children of light. So we should be walking in love. We should be walking in light. But today we're gonna to learn a third way that we should be living every day, walking in wisdom, walking in wisdom. You know, uh, there is a difference between just knowing a bunch of facts, knowing information, and having wisdom that can apply the knowledge that you know. Some of you that have been here for a few years remember I was crossing the red light. Uh, it was green on my side. I'm telling you, it's green on my side. I was crossing the intersection in front of Brookshire Brothers and a truck clipped the back of my car uh, because that truck ran the red light. So I heard from uh, another student that the student that hit me was saying at school, you know, he shouldn't have been there. You know, I, I had to keep up with my mom who was in front of me, and so he just simply shouldn't have been there. So they knew the light was red. You see, sometimes we can know the light is red, and yet we go ahead and we do not apply the brakes. So all I'm asking you is, if God speaks to you, apply it, live it. You know, do what he says to you from the word today. You know, students are given various kinds of tests. I was thinking about two tests in particular, achievement tests, and there's also the aptitude test. You know, an achievement test, if I understand it correctly, is measuring your progress. What did you learn? So you have all of these tests and those, those uh, achievement tests are about how much did you learn? What kind of progress? But an aptitude test is different. An aptitude test measures a student's capabilities. It's looking at their future 
and saying, these are your strengths that you have in your life. You should build your life around that. So it's not just your progress from the past, but your potential in the future. When I read that, I thought about the three verses we're about to read. And I thought, what is, what will these verses in this passage, what will they say to me about growing in wisdom? Do I have potential to live in wisdom? If I will heed what I'm about to read to you, then I do have a great aptitude for wisdom. But if I ignore them, then I will not. So I want to invite you to look with me at Ephesians 5, 15, 16, and 17. I hope you brought a copy of God's Word for yourself, your own copy. If you don't, there's a Bible in the pews. We're going to have it on the screen. So uh, why don't you stand with me as we read through Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we want you to speak to us. So open up our eyes, our spiritual eyes. We want to grow in wisdom. We don't want to stay where we are. We want to continue to mature in Christ's likeness. So Lord, you speak as we listen and look into your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's three things that I want us to look at. And the first one is that the wise walk carefully. The second one is found in verse 16. We'll find that the wise live efficiently. And then verse 17, we'll see that the wise respond obediently. You know, if you've been here any of the Sunday nights and walked with us through Proverbs, you know that Proverbs talks about the fool or those things that are foolish, but then it also talks about the wise and those things in life that are wise, those decisions that are wise. And so the fool or foolish is mentioned 78 times and wise is mentioned 60 times. But I want us to look and say, God, show me how I can grow in wisdom so that when I finish my life, those around me that knew me well would say, you know what? There's no other explanation than God gave that man, that woman wisdom in their life. First, we see that the, the wise walk carefully, carefully. That's what it says, right? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What would the opposite be of carefully? Would it not be carelessly? Have you ever known anybody that went through life carelessly? Without giving any thought, it was like thoughtlessly. They didn't think about what they were doing. And then afterwards they said, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? You see, the King James Version and the New King James Version uses the word circumspectly. But it's this whole idea of carefully. It comes from a Greek word, akrabos. Akrabos. Does akrabos sound like anything to you? It comes from the root meaning really high. You ever been to the circus and you saw an acrobat? That's the word. And so what it's saying is you need to get the vantage point on the decisions you make and look at it from high above, as high a vantage point as you can. And I feel like that's what God's word helps us to do. Sometimes this same word is translated diligently or accurately, cautiously. 
Have you ever seen in Scripture any Bible characters that you would say, that man, that woman, they were definitely careful in making decisions. They were wise in what they did because they looked carefully and they were not careless in the way they lived. I thought of three. How about these? How about Joseph? How about Daniel? And how about Nehemiah? Those are the three that I thought about who walked in wisdom because they walked carefully. How did they walk carefully? How can you and I, how can we walk carefully? How can we live carefully the way the Lord would want us to live in the application of verse 15? Well, let me just review their lives real quickly. I'll just give you two things from each of those three men's lives. I believe that Joseph was careful when he waited. Joseph was careful when he waited. You ever get anxious for something and you hurry and you make a big mistake when you don't use caution in waiting until the right time? Genesis 37 verses 5 through 11, this young guy, Joseph, was told someday your whole family is going to bow down because you're going to be in a place of authority. Well, he was patient because it didn't happen for several years. He was also patient in Genesis 39 uh, whenever this woman kept on saying to him, trying to tempt him to do evil things. She was a married woman. He was single. See, we have to be careful around women or careful around the opposite sex. We have to say, Lord, there are so many temptations out there. Help me to stay focused. Help me be careful. Help me watch every step that I take. Are you living that way? Joseph did. Daniel was also careful about wealth. If you were to go to Daniel chapter 5, you'd see that a king saw writing on the wall and he couldn't read it. He didn't know how to interpret it. So he called in Daniel, and you know what he said? He said, look, if you'll tell me what that says, I will give you a gold necklace. I'll give you all these different things, all these clothes and garments and all that. And you know what Daniel said as a man of God? He said, you know what? You can keep all your stuff. Give it to somebody else. He said, but I will read you what this says. I will deliver the message that God does well. Could you be bought off if somebody said, what would you be willing to do for a million dollars? Sobering whenever you think about a Christian. Should a believer, a follower of Christ, be swayed by wealth to disobey Christ? Daniel couldn't have been. Daniel also was steady and faithful. He was careful in the way he worked. It's one thing to live together here on a Sunday morning when we're all together. It's one way to live for Christ here. But how about when you're at work tomorrow? All through this week, what will you be like at work? Do you know how Daniel lived? You know, there were some who wanted to torpedo his whole career. He was in administrating, in an administrative position. Some wanted to torpedo him, but you know, when they searched and thought and interviewed all kind of people, they couldn't find anything on Daniel. And so Daniel was careful in the way he worked. How about Nehemiah? How can we see Daniel, uh, Nehemiah walking carefully in his life? Well, I think he was careful about watchfulness. Are you careful about watchfulness? Do you realize there are people against the Christian life? Do you realize there are people out there against biblical standards? There are people who don't want us to follow Christ. They don't want us to bring up Christ or to bring up the light. They would just as soon be in the darkness. Nehemiah realized that. He knew there were enemies. So you know what he had them build was a wall. He said, we need a wall around Jerusalem. 
because those enemies are real. If you do not put a wall around your heart, if you do not put a wall around your family, then I'm telling you, you're being naive because there are enemies that want to destroy your life. But also Nehemiah teaches us that he was faithful toward the word. He was faithful in worship. What did they do when they finished that wall? You know what they did? They, they read the Bible, it says, for a fourth of a day. How about we go a fourth of a day with me reading the scriptures today? I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But they did. I'm telling you, they did. It's because they were so passionate about God's word. Do you read God's word each morning? I look so forward to just spending time reading God's word every morning. It's the first thing I do. I just encourage you to be steady, to be careful not to clip that out of your life but also not to clip worship. When they finished the wall, they also gave glory to God. Do you take time to celebrate and give glory to the Lord? You know, Mark chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus used this same word, look. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He used the same Greek word, which means to look, to consider, to take heed, to pay attention. Why do we need to be careful and look before we take steps anyway. Well, couldn't you stumble? I could stumble. If I don't look where I'm going, I could fall down, I could stumble. And so what we have to do is say, Lord, help me to look. So you know what Jesus said when he used that same word in the Greek, blepo? He used that for look, and what he said was, you need to be on your guard. You need to look, eyes wide open, because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, I don't even know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows when he's coming back. So it could be today. It could be this week. So what we have to do is say, Lord, help me to live and look carefully. Help me to walk carefully as I go through this week. But let me give you a second thing that the next verse brings up. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You know, uh, once again, Theodore Epps said this about this whole idea of making the best use of the time. He said, you know, the past is irretrievable. Hey, in case you haven't figured it out, you can't make up for lost time. It's gone. It's irretrievable. The past is irretrievable. But he went on to say, wait a minute now, the future is inaccessible. So we can't get to the future. It's not yet available to us, right? We can't live in the future. We can only live today. And that's what Theodore Epps said. This verse calls us to be faithful today with the time we're given. Don't be complaining about the time that you're given on this earth. Say, Lord, help me use the time I have been given because it will soon be over. Help me to be faithful with it. You know, that's what the time there means, an opportunity. It means a measured, allocated, fixed season that's been handed to you, handed to me. I think about how quickly my young daughters, how quickly they grew up. What about you? Do you know how quickly your kids are growing? We must be faithful with the time that we have because pretty soon that time is over. It's a season. That's the idea here when he's saying, you know, be Careful, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So the opportunity, but making the most speaks to an offering. It's an offering that I make. 
An offering that I give back to God. He gives me the time, so I offer to him good use of the time that he gives me. It's the word redeem. It means to buy it back. It means to buy it out. But, but make no mistake, there's a price to pay. For you to invest in children with the Awana program, for you to invest in children through Sunday school, for you to invest in teaching children in vacation Bible school or anything else, for you to take time like Josh and Hannah are taking time to invest in the high school seniors this weekend, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. So my offering back to God is how I use the time that he gives to me. How are you redeeming the time? Are you making the most of it? But all the time God is giving you this season, this one opportunity right now, all the time that you're trying to make up your mind, what am I gonna do with this time? Do you know in real time what it's like? This verse tells us, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see, you don't have a lot of time to just kind of monkey around and waste time and so forth. You've got to realize there's a lot of things coming against me making the right decision. There's opposition, there are obstacles. And so the devil is trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy our community. He's trying to destroy our country. He's trying to destroy our world. As a matter of fact, the world is also trying to distract you, trying to get you to look over here, look over there. Don't do it. Don't do it. Say, I'm going to make the most of the time God's given to me. But also the flesh is trying to derail you, trying to deprave you and get you to do things that are way off of God's best and plan for you. He sure couldn't do that with C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was born not in 1960 like me. This is a little before my time, 1860, okay? So 1860, he was born... He became a British missionary, but he was born into a family of wealth. But his family said, you're gonna be a what? A missionary? There's no money in being a missionary. What are you doing? He said, you know what? I've had money all my life. He said, I wanna go and invest my life in souls. And so he did. He wound up going to the missions in China, India, and Africa. He died in the Republic of the Congo, leaving behind four daughters and two sons. His wife had died a couple of years before he did. But he wrote a poem, I wanna encourage you, if you enjoy looking up things, then you should Google this poem by C.T. Studd. It's called, Only One Life. There's two lines in the poem he repeats over and over, and I hope you'll never forget these, because it's right down the middle of this verse 16. It says this, only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see what it's calling us to do? It's calling us to make the most of the time. Don't waste it. Redeem it. Buy it up. Make the most of it. Say, Lord, this is my time. I'm not going to waste a single day of it, a single moment of it. The third lesson, if you want to walk in wisdom, is to also respond obediently. It contrasts someone who's wise with someone who's foolish. Verse 16 says, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, so it's kind of built on that verse 16. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
So don't be foolish. Walk in wisdom. So what does that mean? Well, if you would, look back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. If you're going to understand what the will of the Lord is, then you're going to have to understand what's being said and promised to you and to me in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We already looked at this verse, but we need to review it. We need to take it with us so that we don't forget this one truth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's that word walk again. So there's something I'm supposed to be living out, right? What is that something? You see, the first thing I have to realize is I've got to accept the fact that God does have a plan. God does have a will. As a matter of fact, what does it say he did? He prepared it beforehand. You know, Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, when you were in your mother's womb, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Do you know that there was a man in Moses' day named Bezalel? You should look up Bezalel sometime. As a matter of fact, look up Exodus 36, 1 through 2. Because Bezalel was a craftsman. He wasn't a prophet. Bezalel wasn't a pastor. Bezalel wasn't a missionary. Bezalel was a man who could work with his hands. But you know what it says about Bezalel in Exodus 36, verses 1 and 2? It says that God, God gave him the skill. God put within his mind the ability. What are you good at? Is it with computers? Is it good with fixing things? Is it good at teaching? Is it good with administration and business? Whatever it is, don't you know who gave that to you? God prepared beforehand. So we should accept he's got a plan. He's got a will for me. And I want you to notice secondly from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, to be aware that that plan, it's wonderful. He describes it as being good good works. If I could do my life all over again, I would do it the same way every, every day that I was in the will of God. I'd do it exactly the same way because it is so good. It's so wonderful. It's, it fits so perfect. You know, Ephesians, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, describes what God's will is. You want the best definition of God's will? That which is good and acceptable and it's perfect. It's a, it's a perfect fit for you. The longing of my heart as your pastor is that you would live and enjoy the center, the very center of God's will. Don't miss it. No matter what he wants you to do, even if you're an airline pilot, no matter what you do in life, do it for him. Glorify him because that's the good works that he wants you to do. So live for him in that. But then also, it's accompanied by his work. I like this because it says in Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't you know God is working in your life? Ever since you surrendered to him, he's been preparing you for this moment, for the next moment, for all the moments that were before that. But just say, oh God, I know that one of the things you promised is you, you've been working in me. You're going to work through me. So would you just say to God, please, Lord, accomplish the work that you've cut me out for. But how about the appraisal? I like that word workmanship. 
It says, for we are his workmanship. You know, I, I hear about teenagers and students that sometimes feel that their life doesn't matter. But you know what? Your life does matter. You know what? Your life is precious. You know what? You are like a masterpiece that God makes. He made you exactly the way that you are. You don't have to be anybody else. You be who he made you. He made you a boy, you be a boy. He made you a girl, you be a girl. He made you to be the person you want to be. So my heart's desire is that you'll go back and look at that word workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. It means a poem. God's writing a poem. He's, he's making a work of art. You are an incredible treasure to the God who made you. And especially when you give your life to him. Oh man, that just takes it to a whole nother level. But I want you to know that you are very precious in his sight. But you do have to apply it. You do have to aim for it. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 2.10? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you think that God's will is always done on this earth? I don't think that God's will is always done. I think that he is sovereign. He causes a lot of things to happen. But I think there's something with us that we have to cooperate with him. We have to be submissive and obedient to him. That makes me think that this verse that we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, where it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It makes me think of three adjectives. Me, you, all of us, all of us could be described with one of these three adjectives concerning God's will today. The first adjective would be oblivious. Some of you really didn't know, perhaps even before today, that God even has a plan for your life. He has a will. You were oblivious to that whole thing. But others know, you know that God has a plan. And you're not oblivious. Let's move to the second adjective. You're obstinate. You're resisting it. You're fighting it. You don't want to follow him. You don't want to be put in the crowd that's following Christ. There's another crowd you'd prefer to be in. All I'm trying to say is it's way better to live for Christ. It's way better. So live for him. Let his perfect plan be worked out in your life. Don't be obstinate and don't stay oblivious. Move to that third thing and be obedient. Obedient to the will of God. Are you obedient to the will of God? I know it's tough. I know that it's tough walking carefully. I know that it's tough living efficiently. And know that it's tough responding obediently. But the Lord knew that, right? He knew. He knew how tough it was going to be for us to follow him. So you know what he did? He had the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. And what it tells us there is he knew we were going to make foolish mistakes. I made a bunch of them. But he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a way so you can be forgiven for those foolish mistakes. So he paid the price for our forgiveness. It's what it says right there in Ephesians chapter one in verse seven. In him we have redemption. See, he redeems stuff too, doesn't he? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And he just comes to us. He comes to us and says, I've got an incredible opportunity for you. 
but he also provided wisdom in Christ. When you surrender to Christ, you won't believe what happens. You have access to incredible amounts of wisdom that can only come from him. It says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. All the wisdom you need to go through your life to make good decisions, not foolish decisions, wise decisions, it's all found in Christ. But also he published it. <laughs> he had it published in the word of God. He revealed it. What would it have been like if he, he just wanted it to be sort of like some kind of a, a seek and find type thing? But it's, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I love that verse 9. You see, God's not playing a game with you. He's not playing hide and seek. God's saying, no, I want you to know. Here it is. It's right there in the word of God. It's right there in the, the person of Jesus Christ. And he planned this life for a purpose. When something like Nashville, when something like that happens, you begin to wonder, is there even a purpose to what's going on? I, I fall upon verse 10 because it reminds me that ultimately God's purpose will be the one that decides. I'm crying, I can't even read what it says now. Wow, it says, as it, as is, no, as it planned for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's gonna come together. It may take a long time to get there, but I'm telling you, when you say, I'm gonna follow Christ, you're on the winning team. You're on the side that someday it's all gonna make sense. Right now, because of the decisions of mankind, because of our sin, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. But I want you to know that God says, you know what I'm gonna do? Someday out there in eternity, I'm gonna make up for it. Someday out there in eternity, you're gonna see that I had a purpose that goes way beyond all the things that you, all those hurts, all those disappointments, all that pain. If you'll just follow Christ and say, Lord, I don't want to miss you. How did it go in this aptitude test? You know, walking as a wise man, walking as a wise woman requires carefully watching your steps. Carefully watching your steps. It involves efficiently investing your time and your energy. It also involves obediently following God's will. We're about to extend an invitation for any that need to respond and trust Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. But for those of you who already have, I want you to take a moment and say, Lord, how, how am I doing? How's my aptitude for wisdom? Am I living carefully? Am I watching each step that I take? Or am I getting a little too careless with my life? How am I investing my time? Is everything under the sun pulling you away? from God's kingdom and from spending time with the Lord, from leading your family spiritually and biblically? What about the will of God? How are you responding there? Are you obeying what you know to be God's will? Or are you just kind of going through life? You're just like on a treadmill, you're not going forward. You're just kind of spending time. Don't do that. God's got so much more for you. But it all starts with the first step. The first step in the walk is saying, Lord, 
I'm ready to turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me to pay the price for my sins as my substitute. And so that's the way our sins are forgiven. And then he also welcomes us into his family. How do we know that there's a heaven? Well, because when they placed Jesus in the tomb, three days later, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He's already overcome death. So let me tell you, he'll be waiting. He'll be waiting on the other side of death to welcome you. But for today, I welcome you. This church will welcome you. We're glad you're here. Why don't we stand together? Let's have a prayer and we will have a time of invitation. And like I said, if you're a believer, you're following Christ, then just take time and say, Lord, which one of those three is it that I need to really pray about? I need to make some, some decisions, perhaps some adjustments and changes. Or would you say, Lord, uh, maybe it's something else? Because this passage, it's just three verses. There's a big Bible here. So maybe it's something else, but you talk to the Lord. But then those of you who don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I'll be here. I'll be waiting for you. You come. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to give you this time. Thank you so much for the cross. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you. I love that saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross because I'm no better than everybody gathered in here. All of us come the same exact way. We humble ourselves and we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to have grace. I can still remember it so clearly. My first year at college, 1979, when I bowed my heart to Jesus. I'm so glad, so glad I did. Perhaps somebody else needs to do that here. So I pray that you would help them to have the courage, help them to have the commitment, the surrender to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.